Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin, narrated by Amy Landon. Chapter 6 Remains of an accident on Chrysanthemum Highway are still being cleared as of early morning. Commuters should be aware of heavy traffic. Delays on Central Line expected to continue. Central 9 stop remains closed for sunlit investigation into bombing. Reroute through North Green Line for Central City stops beyond Central 9. Leave extra travel time for checkpoints when entering the palace or entertainment venues until further notice. The Circumpolar Maglev train will add an extra service every third day to accommodate winter tourisms, beginning day 260. Tickets now purchasable at municipal train stations throughout the city. Metro and subway closures and service. Changes. Day 248. Year 3. 11th Indictment. Five takes Kalanli warships, transiting through our sector without presenting evidence of permits. While I expect their negligence is not only theirs, but also the failure of our then-ambassador, Yaskandar Agavan, and that proper permits will soon again be issued, I submit this report to the Council on behalf of Heritage, as a point of information. The security of our sector is limited to our own ships, and there is nothing we can do to these Takes-Kalanli vessels but issue them fines, which they seem to have no difficulty in paying cheerfully. Portion of report submitted to LaSalle Council as new business. Day 248, Year 3, 11th Indictment. Takes-Kalanli Reckoning by the Councillor for Heritage. The problem with sending messages was that people responded to them, which meant one had to write more messages in reply. The sun slipping up over the horizon was bright and chilly through the unshaded window panes, inescapable. It drove Mahit out of what scraps of sleep she'd managed. It was barely dawn. And yet, there were three new infofiche sticks resting in the bowl outside the office door sealed shut. Did 19 ads have the mail delivered on the hour every hour, even in the night? Mahit wrapped the enormous feather-filled quilt, presented to her at sundown the night before by the hyper-efficient hands of Seven Scale, around her shoulders. She was awake. Awake and still alone inside her mind. It looked to be a permanent condition. Sitting up, hurt, Her hip had stiffened more in the night, and when she peeled down her borrowed pajama trousers, she could see the bruise there, black-purple, paling to a sick green at the edges, was as large as her spread hand. She wondered if there were painkillers to be had in her new elaborate prison, as well as the delivered quilt, and last night's tray of serviceable but unremarkable vegetable slices, and more of that fibrous paste three seagrass had served her for breakfast. Otherwise, 19 ads had left her alone. As if her excellency was waiting for her new pet to settle, so she wouldn't snap at outstretched hands. Still encased in the quilt, and wincing as she stood up and got the hip moving, Mahit went to fish out the infofiche sticks and open them. The first was as anonymous as the one she'd sent, gray and sealed with undyed wax. She snapped it open, shook it to make it disgorge its light-spun glyphs. Your friend composes warily on the subject of enclosures, boundaries, demarcations, edges of knives, but thinks also of you, subject to lonesomeness, and sends twelve flowers as a promise if you need them. It was poetry. It wasn't very good poetry, but it seemed to be an illusion, meaning, oh, fuck. Did the edge shine of a knife as Wazwa Cat throw you in prison, and can I help? It was unsigned. Not that it needed to be signed. Mahit had sent three messages, and neither the Minister for Science nor the multitude of minor functionaries in the Information Ministry would reply in blatant code. This was 12 Azalea, and he was probably simultaneously sincere in his desire to effect a rescue if she needed one, and having far too much fun coded messages, anonymous communiques across departmental lines, 
and Mahit thought that she had an untoward degree of affection for the genre conventions of political intrigue in Tixkalanli literature. Was it untoward if one lived it in one's own culture? Yes, she decided. It was untoward when one reenacted it for the sake of the convention. But a Tixkalan Litzlam wouldn't think that. No one had blown up 12 Azalea, or even tried to do so. His friend might be hospitalized, and his new dangerous political acquaintance might be writing to him from rarefied captivity. But he was still perfectly within his rights to act like he'd walked out of red flower buds for 30 ribbon, or some other palace romance. She wrote a couplet back, thinking at least she wouldn't be any worse at poetry than he was, and probably better. What encloses me, I chose. I seek only what I asked of you. Information. And when she sealed the info fiche, she didn't bother to sign her name either. Someone should have a good time. It might as well be 12 Azalea, for as long as he could manage it. The second infofiche stick was not anonymous in any fashion. It was transparent glass, aside from its electronic innards, and sealed with deep green wax, stamped with a white glyph of a sun wheel. Science Ministry. When she opened it, it unfolded into an elegant and condescending little letter. Ten Pearl congratulated her on her appointment as ambassador, expressed formulaic regrets for Yaskander's unfortunate demise, so formulaic that Mahit instantly knew he'd copied those regrets from one of the practical rhetoric manuals, perhaps the very one she'd learned to write from herself. She had a very Tixkalanli moment of being insulted at his lack of effort in illusion, and then a very personal moment of satisfaction at having successfully played the dull barbarian, trying so hard to emulate a citizen's education and only achieving an awkward and pitiable imitation. At the close of the letter, Ten Pearl suggested that, of course, he would be pleased to greet the LaSalle ambassador socially, perhaps at the upcoming imperial banquet in a day's time. A public meeting, then. Safer in some ways, if Ten Pearl thought he was under any suspicion of having killed Yaskander outright, then meeting Yaskander's successor in public would allay any scurrilous publicity about trying to have that successor similarly eliminated. There couldn't be any secret murders of foreign dignitaries when the entire court was watching. Safer, for Ten Pearl's reputation, and Mahit's actual safety if he had been responsible for Yaskander's death, but also politic. It would demonstrate to everyone that there were no hard feelings between LaSalle and the science ministry. Well, it wasn't like Mahit hadn't already said she'd go to the banquet. What was one more political hazard to negotiate at this rate? And if she could corner Ten Pearl for a second, more direct meeting after the public bows and smiles he clearly wanted from her, so much the better. She put his message aside, and turned to the last of the mail. The last of the mail that she could get at. The sticks must be piling up inside her apartment in terrible little drifts of undone work. The final infofiche stick was another anonymous bit of gray plastic. But this one was flagged with a red tag marked with a black star field. Off-world communication. Routed somehow to her through her own office in Palace East and 19 Adzes in Palace North. Not for the first time. Mahid wondered if she was being watched by the city, and thought again of the shimmering rise of those confining walls in Plaza Central 9. Then she cracked the infofiche open and stopped thinking of the city at once and entirely. The message inside was not a spill of Tixkalanli ideographs rendered in holographic light. Coiled into the stick was a machine-printed slip of semi-transparent plastic and when Mahit pulled it free and spread it out to read, the characters on it were alphabetic, her own alphabet. This message had come from LaSalle Station. And it was not addressed to her, nor was it addressed to the ambassador from LaSalle to takes Kalan. It was addressed to Yaskander Agavan and dated 227.3.11, the 227th day of the third year of the eleventh indiction of the Emperor Sixth Direction, about three weeks ago. For Ambassador Agavin from Dekakel Onchu, 
counselor for the pilots, it began. If you are receiving this message, you have personally queried your electronic database since the request for a new ambassador was delivered to LaSalle Station. This message serves as a double warning from those who would still be your allies on the station, which was once your cradle and your home. Firstly, someone is trying to replace you at the Imperial Court. Secondly, your replacement may have been sabotaged. She bears an early Imago recording of you, which neither the counselor nor the pilots nor the counselor for hydroponics was able to verify the condition of before integration. She was sponsored by Heritage and by miners. Be wary. Anchu for the pilots suspects Omnardbot for Heritage is behind sabotage if same exists and originates on LaSalle. Destroy this communication. Further communication may follow if possible. The message must have been triggered when she'd accessed the LaSalle ambassador's electronic database the night before, composing her messages. Mahit read it twice, three times to memorize it. Automatic habit. Born out of years of knowing how to study takes Kalanli texts. Knowing how to pack a collection of phrases and words into her mind, like a heat-compressed diamond of meaning. If sabotage exists and originates on LaSalle, unable to verify the condition, your cradle and your home. She found herself thinking, thinking to not think, thinking to let herself feel and exist through the shock and the distress. Practicalities like a veil over the way her stomach twisted, the way she automatically reached for the comfort of the imago that should have been in her mind and wasn't and got that dizzy vertigo again for her trouble. Thought that she was going to have to burn Yaskandra's corpse soon. While she thought, she tore the plastic sheet into small pieces and melted them with the handheld lighter she'd used to melt the sealing wax for the infofiche sticks. She hoped she could burn the corpse with full knowledge of who had killed him. It would be a strange, pale form of justice. But even if he never came back to her, she owed him that much, most successors knew how their imago predecessors had died. Age or accident or illness, any of the thousand small ways a station could kill a person. You couldn't exact justice on a cancer or a failed airlock. There wasn't any point. But there was a point in knowing how the last person to hold all the knowledge you held had died, if only so that you could correct the mistake and keep your line alive a little longer, a little better to stretch the continuity of memory just a bit farther, out on the edges of human space, where it feathered away into the black. Mahit folded the quilt evenly at the foot of the couch she'd slept on, dressed, awkward and in pain when she had to lift her leg higher than the height of the opposite calf, again in the same white borrowed trousers and blouses yesterday, and considered when she'd begun to feel so strongly about LaSalle ethical philosophy. Since her imago had abandoned her, probably, if she was being poetic about it, since she had come unmoored from one of those long, long lines of memory. She and her predecessor were never supposed to be enemies, and yet she could still hear Anchu's message. And when had it been sent? How long had it been waiting for Yaskander, dead Yaskander, to read it and take care? echoing like the best poetry. If sabotage exists and originates on LaSalle. If she was without her imago, because of some sabotage engendered by Aknel Amnardbot. But hadn't Amnardbot wanted her to be the new ambassador? Hadn't Amnardbot pushed for her? Wanted her presence on Takes Kalan? Insisted that she be granted the out-of-date imago of Yaskander to help her? Why would she do that? If she meant for Mahit to lose that imigo, to be alone in the empire, to be cut off from everything. Had she been sent to do harm to Yaskander? Or to correct his policies? Or neither one? It hurt how much she didn't know, how alone she was. Hearing a voice from home should have made her feel comforted, even if it was the acerbic tone of the counselor for the pilots. But instead, Mahit found herself sitting back on the edge of the couch, her head in her hands, still dizzy. 
the absence of Yaskander in her mind felt like a hole in the world. And now, now she couldn't trust herself, her own motives. Be a mirror, she told herself again. Be a mirror when you meet a knife. Be a mirror when you meet a stone. Be as takes Kalani as you can, and be as LaSalle as you can, and, oh, fuck, breathe. That too. She breathed. Slowly, the dizziness passed off. The sun had just barely risen above the level of the windowsill. Her stomach growled. She was still here. She knew a little less about what she was meant to do as ambassador to Texcalan, and a little more about what might have been done to her and why and from where than she had before she'd read on Chu's message. She would compensate. Mahit left the infofiche sticks on which she'd written her replies in the outgoing basket and padded barefoot out into the warren of 19 Ads' office complex. Most of the doors were shut to her, blank panels that wouldn't budge for any cloud-hookless gesture. If only she had three seagrass to open doors, she thought, and was bleakly amused at the difference a single day made and how she felt about that necessity. Fifteen minutes of wandering showed her the front office she'd seen yesterday, still empty of everything but dawnlight, all the infographs quiescent. She passed it by, turned left down a new corridor, and waded deeper into unfamiliar territory. Somewhere in this complex, it must be a floor of the building at least, 19 ads slept. Mahit imagined her denned like a giant hunting cat, the sort that was too large to have retractable claws, her sides rising and falling in huge, even breaths, eyes slid open, even asleep. Oh, but Mahit hadn't come to the city to be a poet. Why had she come? And under whose control? No, not now. She hadn't come to the city to be trapped inside the home of an Izwazwa cat either. But here she was. The corridor ended, opening up through a wide archway into a room that must have been on the opposite side of the building from the front office, judging by the dimmer, softer diffusion of morning light. It was clearly a library, all the walls lined with codex books and infofiche where they weren't hung with star charts. On a broad couch in the center, five agate sat with her legs folded under her, lotus fashion. Above her knee, she spun a brightly colored holograph of the city's local solar system, the orbits marked out in glowing gold arcs, and each planet labeled in glyphs Mahit could read from across the room. And standing in front of the holograph, his small hands busy pulling the planets apart and watching them snap back to their appropriate gravitational wells, was a child who couldn't be more than six. Good morning, Mahit said, to let them know she was there. Five Agate looked up, her face flat and unsurprised. Ambassador, she said, and turned to the boy. Map, say hello to the ambassador from LaSalle. The child gazed at Mahit critically and pressed his baby hands together above his heart. Hello, he said. Why are you in the library before breakfast? Mahit came forward out of the archway, feeling ungainly and tall. I couldn't sleep, she said. I like your solar system, it's very beautiful. The child stared at her, unmoved. Takes Kalanli expressionlessness on a person that age was more than a little unsettling. Oh, sit down, said Five Agate. You're looming. Mahit sat. The boy stuck his hand into the center of the holograph and grasped the sun in his palm pulling the whole holograph out of Five Agate's lap. It's mine, he said. Map, go work on the orbital maths, won't you? Five Agate said. Just for a moment, you can take the model. Mahit thought for a moment he would resist. She'd hated being locked out of adult conversations when she'd been small. But he nodded and retreated to the other side of the couch willingly enough. That's too cartograph. Five Agate said, 
I'm sorry, usually no one is in the library at this hour. Two cartograph and called map. Mahit smiled. It's not a problem, she said. Lasselle has lots of children running around, usually in big crèche-mate age groups. I got into all sorts of things when I was that age. I don't mind. Is he yours? My son, Five Agate said, and then with a little bit of pride. My son by my own body. That was unusual on Texcalan, unheard of on Lasselle. A woman using her own uterus rather than an artificial womb to grow a child was a luxury of resources the station simply didn't have. Women died doing that, or destroyed their metabolisms, or their pelvic floors. And women were people who could be doing work. Mahit had been given her contraceptive implant at the age of nine. When she'd learned that Tixkalanlitzlam sometimes bore their own children inside themselves, she'd thought of it the way she thought about the water spilling out of one of those flower bowls in the restaurant in Plaza Central Nine. To have that much to easily spend felt both offensive and compelling. Was it difficult? She asked, genuinely curious. The process. Five Agate's eyes went smugly wide in a Tixkalani-style grin. I spent two years getting into the best physical shape of my life beforehand, she said. And it was still difficult, but I was a good home for him, and he came out exactly as healthy as he would have from an artificial womb. He's beautiful, Mahid said, with complete honesty. And clever, if he's doing orbital mechanics that young. It was so gratifying to have a conversation with a Tixkalan Lietzlam that wasn't immediately entirely politically barbed, especially here in 19 Ads's offices. Do you live here, the both of you? Recently we do, said Five Agate. Her Excellency is very good to us. I wouldn't imagine she would be anything else, said Mahit. It was even true. You're her people, aren't you? For a long time now, since far before I had Map. Mahit wanted to ask Five Agate several questions, each more intrusive than the last. What do you do for her, was the first one, and then, how did she make you hers? And possibly on to, did she want you to have a child? But what she asked was, what changed, recently, before you moved in? Some of the openness in Five Agate's face shuddered, like an anti-glare coating coming down over the viewport of a shuttlecraft. We're all working late, nowadays, she said, and the commute was very long. I wouldn't want my son to be alone so much, and Her Excellency thought Map would be better here, close by. Better, Mahit heard that word as safer, and thought about long commutes by subway, and how a bomb might devastate a subway car just as easily as it had a restaurant yesterday. Her expression must have betrayed something of what she was thinking, because Five Agate changed the subject. Were you just looking for the library, or looking for anyone who wasn't asleep? Two cartograph gets up with the sun, so I do the same. Five Agate shrugged one shoulder. Do you need anything, Ambassador? Tea, a particular book? Mahit spread her hands open on top of her knees. She didn't want to treat Five Agate like a servant, and she couldn't afford to forget that this woman, as barefoot and casually dressed as herself, was 19 Ads' prize assistant, and therefore at least half as dangerous as her master. No, unless you'd like to tell me about the Emperor, she said. I was watching the news feeds all last evening, but news feeds assume a kind of familiarity with local political emotion that someone from outside the city can't have, let alone someone who isn't takes Kalanli. What do you want to know that I would know? I'm not even a patrician, Ambassador. Five Agate had a way of speaking when she wasn't talking about her son, which was so dryly self-deprecating that the humor was nearly invisible. 
not even a patrician, but instead an Azwazwakat servant, a much more important post, even if it had lower rank at court. Based on yesterday, I'd take you for an analyst, which perhaps benefits from not being a patrician, Mahid said. It was like fencing, but a friendlier version than with 19 ads, so far. All right, Five Agate said, with a trace of a Texcalanli style smile, her eyes widening. If I'm an analyst, what do you want to know that I would know? And that you would tell me, Mahid thought. Why doesn't his brilliance, Six Direction, have a certain successor? Surely, even if he hasn't got a child of his body, he could have a child of his genetics, or a name-designate unrelated heir. He could, Five Agate said. In fact, he has. He has? He's associated three people to the Imperium, three designate co-imperial heirs, none of whom have any superiority over the others. They're all co-emperor. Do stationers not get centralized broadcast? The last time he designated anyone, 30 Larkspur, there was nothing else but the ceremony on any newsfeed for months. We are not takes Kalani, Mahid said, thinking all the while of 30 Larkspur, who 19 ads had said was both an Azwazwa cat like herself, and benefiting from public fear. Public fear, and trying to control import-export trade to benefit his own family's planetary holdings. Why would we get centralized broadcasts? Still, just because you live two months out by ship, Mahit said pointedly, we manage, and watched Five Agate curl her lip up, wry, noticing that she'd slipped, the unconscious assumption that everyone in the universe would want exactly the same things as a takes Kalanli person would want. Mahit took some pity on her and said, though we remain ignorant, of why 30 Larkspur was worthy of being associated. His Excellency 30 Larkspur is the most recent member of the Emperor's Azwazwa Katlim. He has risen quite quickly in court, based on his wisdom and, Five Agate said, tilting one of her hands ambivalently, perhaps also for his strong family connections to the patricians from the planets on the western arc of the Empire. I see, said Mahid. She thought she did, actually. When Sixth Direction had made 30 Larkspur an imperial associate, he was shoring up his support from the wealthy inhabitants of the Western Ark systems. 30 Larkspur's family, along with the other patrician families who made the Western Ark, a distant string of resource and manufacturing wealthy systems all linked heavily together with jump gates, would be assured of having a voice not only in the current government, but in the next one. And... If Mahid understood the centripetal nature of the kind of usurpation attempt that did get celebrated in Texcalanli histories, the emperor was also preventing those wealthy but distant aristocrats from throwing their support behind anyone but 30 Larkspur. Revolts led by Yaut Lekim, like one lightning's almost revolt happening right now, being shouted about in the city, came from the outer corners of the empire, where people were more loyal to their own commanders than to some distant figure in the palace. They were often bankrolled by just the sort of people like the Western Ark families. By giving 30 Larkspur power, the emperor ensured that his family was loyal to the man who had given him that power, his brilliance, Sixth Direction. You'll see if you meet 30 Larkspur, Ambassador. And the other successors? You said there were three. Eight Loop, of the judiciary. She is nearly as old as his brilliance himself. They were crash sibs together. Mahid had read enough novelizations of Six Direction's early life to recognize Eight Loop, his sister by either blood or emotion, the brutal politician behind Six Direction's military brilliance and son-given favor. She nodded. Of course, Eight Loop. And Eight Antidote, who is hardly older than my map, said Five Agate, but who is a child of Six Direction's genetics, a 90% clone. A very disparate crowd. From behind them, 19 ads said, 
who could replace his brilliant majesty after all? Mahit scrambled to her feet. It takes three people, she said, trying to feel less like she'd just been caught. At least, 19 Ad said. Have you been interrogating my assistant? Mildly, Mahit said. It seemed better to lead with self-awareness. Did you learn what you wanted? Some of it. What else would you like to know? That was a trap, baited and set with something as sweet and easy as the infinite weight of 19 Ads' concerned regard. And Mahit decided to step into it anyhow. How a succession would work in an ideal time, at an ideal place. The histories, Your Excellency, tend to focus on the exciting variants. Nineteen ads smiled, as if Mahit had answered entirely sufficiently. An emperor has a child of their body or their genetics, and the child is of age and mental capacity, and the emperor crowns them co-emperor. And thus, when the old emperor dies, there is already a new emperor, who the stars know and love and favor, made in blood, acclaimed in sunlight. How often does that happen? Mahit said dryly. Less often than some military commander backed by a hundred thousand loyal legionary soldiers, claiming that the good regard of the universe has designated them emperor. The histories, ambassador, are both exciting and all too accurate. And how often does an emperor appoint a ruling council of three to succeed him? Not very often, I suspect, Mahid thought. Only when there is something not quite right. No suitable successor. Not entirely. Even if 30 Larkspur and 8 Loop are meant to stand as regents for the 90% clone, that's going to be a long and contentious regency. If you've had enough of politics said 19 ads. There's tea. And you have acquired a visitor in the front office. I have? Mahid asked, surprised. Go see, 19 ads said, and snapped her wrist, as if Mahid was an infograph in the wrong place. Three seagrass looked terrible, but it was a version of terrible that had improved relative to the last time Mahid had seen her half catatonic after a city-induced seizure. Now she was ashen in the face and bruised under the eyes, but upright, impeccably dressed in her information ministry suit, her hair raked back from her forehead and knotted in an unfashionable but functional tail. Mahit had no idea what had possessed her to come here, after the hospital had let her out, instead of going home like a sensible person who had suffered a substantial neurological event. Nevertheless, seeing her standing in the middle of 19 Ads' front office hit Mahit with a wave of relief. Some small bit of familiarity here in Mahit's new prison sanctuary. Some kind of continuity. And she had apparently cared enough to come find Mahit instead of going home, however unsensible it might be. You're not dead, Mahit said. Not yet, said Three Seagrass. But it's only a matter of time. Mahit stopped short. Are you serious? You should go back to the hospital. Mahit, I am making a joke in poor taste about the inevitability of mortality, Three Seagrass said with a brittle gaiety. And here you were telling me you were fluent in Texcalan. Humor is the last thing anyone learns in a second language, Mahit said but she knew she was blushing, embarrassed, as much for the overt concern as for the linguistic slip. What are you doing here? When he came to pick me up at the hospital, 12 Azalea implied you were being held against your will and forced to send unsigned infofiche messages through the palace mail drop. I thought I'd rescue you, being as you're my responsibility and I nearly got you blown up yesterday. Twelve Azalea may have overstated slightly, Mahit said. Only slightly, said Three Seagrass, with a pointed look at Mahit's all-white borrowed outfit. Mahit protested. 
I was covered in 15 engines' blood. It's not. You've spent the night with the most dangerous woman at court, and you're wearing her clothes. Mahit pressed two fingers to the space between her eyebrows, trying not to laugh. I swear, three seagrass. Between your insinuations of impropriety and 12 Azalea's unsigned messages, I really will feel like I'm a character in red flower buds for 30 ribbon. Putting aside how I'm not sure how that ever got past the Imperial censors and out to LaSalle, Three Seagrass said dryly, and that I would never accuse an Azwazwa cat of taking advantage of a foreign dignitary, at least not while in the recording range of that same Azwazwa cat's own front office, and certainly not an Azwazwa cat who I personally respect and admire. Her Excellency isn't letting you leave, is she? There was a hectic flush in Three Seagrass's cheeks beneath the hollow shadows under her eyes. Mahit wished she'd sit down. But no, she stood in the center of the room like the reed twelve azalea called her, narrow and wind-whipped and still doing her job, warning Mahit that they were most certainly being observed. Mahit said, there were demonstrations in Plaza Central 7, acclamations. A very good excuse to keep you off the streets, I'm not arguing, Mahit, it's... The city is strange this morning, even this close to the center. Bombings do that, I imagine. Mahit sat down herself, on the same couch she'd been interrogated on the evening previously, and made sitting an invitation for three seagrass to join her. It was gratifying when she did. Sympathetic mirroring, and also not having to look at her, standing so very still, and looking half-shattered. She wondered if there were after-effects of being attacked by the city itself, physical or psychological. Both, she'd guess, from how Three Seagrass carried herself. Tell me how it's strange. Three Seagrass tilted one hand back and forth in the air. Not enough pedestrians. It's like a collective case of nerves. And of course, Central Nine is blocked off, and the subway isn't running. Running, Mahit heard, an echo from a long distance off. A sensation like electric sparks ran from her shoulders through her elbows to hover in her outmost fingers buzzing. Keeps your new integrated subway running at all hours without operators, Yaskandra Gavin is saying. He leans his elbows on the inlaid wood table that Ten Pearl new-made science minister Ten Pearl, who wears a mother-of-pearl ring on each of his fingers, like a living pun on his name, has installed in his office. There's surely some methodology the city used when the lines were separate, and some new methodology of yours now, and I admit to a profound curiosity. Ten Pearl has refined Texcalanli expressionlessness to a high art. He conveys utter disdain with the tiniest of sighs. But Yaskander knows this kind of person. What he really wants is to show off his project. And his project was connecting every part of the transit of the entire planetary city, subway and rail both, and rendering them seamlessly autonomous. It had won him his ministry. He headed science now. Ambassador? says Ten Pearl. I cannot imagine that you need a subway on LaSalle Station. We do not, Yaskander agrees willingly enough. But an automated system that can be trusted to move hundreds of thousands of people without error and without conflict, that, you must imagine, is of enormous interest to anyone who lives in a less perfect automated system, as those of us who are planetless do. Have you embedded minds within the city's extant AI? A core of volunteers, like the sunlit, all together watching over this system? Ten Pearl warms to the subject. Yaskander watches him thaw by inches. Yaskander has said something to him which is almost right, but just wrong enough that his natural desire to inform and educate a barbarian is going to override his much more prudent wish to keep his new technology safely under wraps. His eyes widen a fraction. Iskander waits for him. This is like drawing out a hungry animal from its lair. Not like the sunlit, says Ten Pearl at last. 
The city is not a collective mind. That is already interesting, as it implies that the sunlit are such a collective. And yet, Iskander had recently met a young Tixkalan Lietzlem, who was very excited about joining the Imperial Police, and was very much an individual person. It implies a process, a making of the sunlit. And Yaskander wonders whether it is anything like an imigo process, and how an empire so completely opposed to neurological enhancement thought about it. None of this is worth asking. All of it would expose his own interests too obviously. What Yaskander asks is, if not a collective, is there a mind? If you consider an artificial, algorithm-driven intelligence a mind, Ambassador, then yes, the city now has a mind, and that mind watches the subway for conflicts. How remarkable, Iskander says, with only the faintest edge of mockery. An infallible algorithm. Ten Pearl says, it hasn't failed me implying that it is good enough to have made him science minister. And Yaskander thinks, it hasn't failed you yet. More electric prickles swam in Mahit's fingers, her nose filled with the remembered scent of ozone, the blue flash of light from the city's algorithm going very, very wrong, and catching three seagrass unawares, and... She was back, alone again in her body, instead of remembering some conversation Yaskander had had more than a decade ago. Three Seagrass was still talking. Mahit thought she'd missed perhaps a half second, nothing more. A half second with an entire flash of memory in it, minutes of it. And the acclamation in Central Seven wasn't the only mass gathering. There was an old-fashioned sacrifice out in Ring too. It showed up in the Information Ministry Bulletin this morning. You checked that from the hospital? Decryption's good for making sure I still have all my higher brain functions, Three Seagrass said. And Mahit began to get a sense of what had scared her worst about the scene in Plaza Central 9. She could sympathize. The echoes of the imago flash were still buzzing in her smallest two fingers. Ulnar nerve damage, or the facsimile of it. And I was bored until Petal came by with your unsigned communiques finished three seagrass. I think he's having fun, Mahit confessed. I know he is, three seagrass said, and sighed. He brought me chrysanthemums. Mahit was trying to remember what chrysanthemums meant in Tixkalanli symbolism, and coming up mostly blank. Eternal life? Because they were star-shaped? When 19 ads, emerging from the doorway like a sudden apparition, said, How sweet of your friend, a secretar. I'm pleased to see you've survived yesterday's unfortunate accident. Three seagrass made to get to her feet, and Mahit put her hand on her forearm, personal space norms or not, and held her still. If I'm your excellency's guest, she said to the both of them, then three seagrass is mine and she's welcome where I am. Nineteen ads laughed, a short, bright sound. To Mahit, she said, Of course, Ambassador, as if I would be so rude to the guest of my guest. And then, sitting across from them, she looked three seagrass plainly in the face and told her, Three days, and you've got her loyalty. I'll remember you. To three seagrass's credit, she didn't flinch, and she didn't take her arm away from Mihit's hand. I'll be honored by your recollection, she said. Mahit thought she ought to say something, if only as an attempt to reclaim some control over the conversation, if such a thing was even possible with 19 ads and three seagrass both in the room. What makes a sacrifice old-fashioned? She sounded like an ignorant barbarian, but she hardly had a choice about that, not here. Not now. Someone died, Three Seagrass said. Someone chose to die, Nineteen Ads corrected her. 
Some citizen made opening cuts from wrist to shoulder and knee to thigh, and bled out in a sun temple, calling on the ever-burning stars to take them up in exchange for something they wanted. Mihit's mouth was dry. She thought of the vivid spill of 15 engines' arterial blood over his shirt front and her face. A sacrifice, for no particular reason. A Teixkalan Leedslam would describe it that way. Not a death he chose. A waste of a sacrifice. What does a citizen get in exchange for their life? She asked. Three seagrass, whose arm was still under Mahit's fingers, said, Remembered, sharp and sure. Nineteen ads had that same expression as she'd had when Mahit had wished aloud for a joyous reunion with her predecessor, back when they'd all stood in the morgue around what was left of Yaskander. That twist of emotion that Mahit couldn't parse. The Asekrita is right. Such a citizen is remembered as long as sacrifices are named in sun temples. You should attend a service, Mahit, and hear the litany of names. It'd be a cultural experience. She settled back onto the couch. All aside from its memorial applications, dying in a temple is not in fashion. It is an extreme response to perceived threat. Domestic terrorism is perceived threat, Three Seagrass said. So are rumors of impending war, said Nineteen Ads. Three Seagrass nodded. The situation in Odile, the troop movements lately, everyone knows someone in the fleet, and everyone in the fleet knows the fleet is mobilizing. Even so, Mahit interjected, thinking again, Odile, thinking, the Empire is less stable than it seems. I didn't know you held one lightning shouting partisans in such high esteem. They can't force the Yautlek to begin a war. Just wish he'd already had one to celebrate. When 19 ads nodded to her, acknowledging the point, she was savagely pleased. Pleased and then angry at herself for being pleased. 19 ads was using her, was using the both of them to think through the politics aloud. They weren't her retinue. They were her guests, her hostages. And how many stories in Teixkalanli literature describe the fate of children traded to one court or another before the empire, one system to another within the empire, hostages and guests both, made Teixkalanli enough, and then discarded when it was politically expedient. Enough that Mahit should stop trying to impress the Azwazwakat. There wasn't a point. There was the narrative, which she said was being used. Three Seagrass had no such qualms. A blood death in a temple was how he used to ensure the success of a war, Mahit, she said. One death from every regiment, hand-selected by the Yautlek. No one does it anymore, not for hundreds of years. It's terribly selfish for one citizen to take away the responsibility of calling on the favor of the stars from everyone else. Selfish wasn't how Mahit would have described it. She'd say barbaric, if she was speaking a language where that would be an intelligible sequence of words to describe a Teixkalanli religious practice. What I'd like to know, she said, is where the war will be, considering those troop movements that Three Seagrass mentioned. Some of those troop movements were detailed in those unsigned but sealed documents that had been in her initial pile of infofiche. Request to move Teixkalanli warships through the Lasselle jump gates, on the way to somewhere. You're not alone in wondering, said 19 ads. His brilliance has been remarkably closed-mouthed about his current thinking on that matter. She looked pointedly at three seagrass, as if she was a synecdoche for all the secrets held by the information ministry, and might have an opinion. Your Excellency, even if I knew where his brilliance had decided Takes Kalan was next looking to expand, I couldn't say. I'm an Asekreta. Nineteen ads spread her hands wide, one palm up, one palm down, like a set of scales. But the empire expands. 
first principles a secreta, not to mention evidence. So there is a where. There is always a where, Your Excellency. A where, and a why now. Mahit thought she knew the why now, the uncertainty around six direction succession. Three equal associated heirs, each with their own agenda, and one a child who was too young to have an agenda, was no stable mode of government. Something would have to bend. 30 Larkspur or 8 Loop would emerge with the chief share of authority or declare themselves regent for the 90% clone or... Or... One Lightning would declare himself emperor by right of conquest and public acclamation. And somewhere in the midst of it, Yaskondra tried to intervene. She knew him too well to think he could have left this alone. She was turning it over and over, like tumbling a stone inside her mouth. And Yaskondra was more political than she was. More political and more dead. The inheritor of an imago line was supposed to learn from her predecessor's mistakes. Perhaps we'll find out at the banquet tomorrow, Mahit said. We'll find out something, Three Seagrass replied, with some of that same brittle delight Mahit had heard in her voice earlier. As long as I don't actually get you blown up this time. Nineteen Ads laughed. Of course you both are attending. Yes, Your Excellency, said Three Seagrass. The ambassador was invited, and I wouldn't miss one. Certainly not. Are you presenting a composition? My work is in no way the equal of someone like Two Calendar, Three Seagrass said, theatrically self-deprecating in her comparison to the poet whose work was providing the male decryption cipher this month. And more importantly, I'm not at the banquet as an orator, but as Mahit's cultural liaison. The sacrifices work asks of us, said 19 ads. Mahit couldn't tell if she was joking. Will we see you there? Three Seagrass inquired. Naturally. You both can join me on the walk to Palace Earth tomorrow evening. When Mahit, envisioning the political statement that entering the banquet in 19 ads' company would make, opened her mouth to protest, 19 ads gestured to cut her off and said, Ambassador, the city is quite disturbed. I have plenty of guest space. Did you really think you would be leaving? That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of A Memory Called Empire wherever books or audiobooks are sold. We hope you're enjoying this season. Please tell us what you think by filling out a quick survey with your feedback. Just go to bit.ly slash surveys from among the stars. That's bit.ly slash surveys from among the stars. Thank you.